everybody, my name is Axel Vilmo. We're back on 24 Shades of Blue with Bradley Donis. He's the acting unit commander of Forensic Identification Services of the Toronto Police Services. So, Bradley, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Good. I'm glad to see you. We had been great conversations about everything uh, that you do, uh, but I would love for you to tell the audience about uh, what you do with forensics and uh, kind of what the day-to-day is like. So um, at Forensic Identification Services, we're really responsible for the examination of crime scenes throughout the city. And so there, there are some different levels of response, but certainly our office is responsible for the most serious crimes. So all the stuff you see on TV, those are the, those are the scenes that uh, our, um, our officers are attending and examining. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, is it, is it a lot of pressure, especially when, you know, it are, they, they are large crime scenes or something of, you know, that is on the media. Do you and the team really feel that heat to work really fast? Well, uh, not so much fast. I mean, I mean, it's important for us to get a neighborhood back to normal as quickly as we can, because we certainly don't want um, the community members to to see this crime scene for days and days if we can help it. But the more important thing is that we're we're thorough and we're um, we're diligent in what we're doing so that at the end of the day, we can catch the bad guys and put them away. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's so interesting. I think everybody sees a lot of stuff on TV and it's probably a lot of BS, to be honest, in terms of what we see there versus what the reality. Um, I think one of the big things I had was how does you know, the environment really factor in to doing your job? Because I know there's something inside which is controlled. Like right now we're in a studio, um, very controlled, everything around us. But in your case, you know, some things might be drying up, some things might be blown away. How do you guys get across that? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, the environment plays a huge role in in the um, preservation of evidence. So um, outdoor scenes are notoriously just difficult and and we really have to triage what we're going to do first and what we're worried is going to disappear. And I think back to one scene that I spent some time um, examining on the rooftop of a of a nightclub uh, in in the in the um, entertainment district. You sound like a movie already. So yeah, here, here we go. On yeah, the nightclub, I, we're on the. I'm rooftop. setting the scene, Perfect. and then and then I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you now. So um, so yeah, so uh, the problem was so the bad guys had had shot the victim on the rooftop the victim had been removed he was he mm-hmm. was deceased and he had been removed but now we've got all these beer bottles all over the place and we don't know whose is what and we want to collect them and um uv light from the sun will destroy dna if, oh. if we leave it for too long so we had to very quickly take our photographs and start collecting things but we can't we have to collect them in order right and we have to document where they all came from so it's uh it's, it can be complicated that's all i think about <laughs> when i look at the crimes and goes like I think the main thing I'd like to know is where do you start? What is the the first thing? Like you said, there's a bit of a process, but is there ever a moment where it's so quick, you just head down there and just kind of figure it out? Or is it there's a preliminary meeting type of thing and then you go into it? Well, I mean, certainly if there are environmental factors, and again, I mean, I, I, I won't bore you with too many stories, but I remember one shooting that we went to and, um, and just as we pulled up, the rain, the, the heavens just opened and more rain than I've ever seen. And the cartridge cases from the firearm were, were actually literally floating down the alleyway. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they were floating down the alleyway and we just had to kind of catch them. Like we, there, there was no time to do anything. That's pretty rare. Most of the time we have some time, but there is a process. And the most important part of the process, I would say, 
is the initial documentation, and that's usually through photographs and video. And uh, and as someone in the in the production world, you'd understand. Yeah, lighting is a big issue. Um, trying to essentially what we're trying to do is give the court a fair and accurate representation of how we found the scene. Mm-hmm. And so we want we want the trier of fact, whether that's a judge or a jury, to know exactly where everything was when we arrived so that we can we can explain what we did with it from there. So I think that's probably the most important piece, but that's always the first step. That's that's so cool because I, I also was a little <laughs> looking at TV and then and, and watching. I'm like, did we really need that much flash on this? Is that true? Does everybody just rock a huge flash and just like go to town? Because you said accurate, right? Yeah. And sometimes I feel like, I mean, this is me getting into the nitty gritty of it. I'm like, that bullet casing may not look exactly like where it was to the left because of how they shot it for some reason. You're absolutely, you're bang on. So, um, so you're right. We want to, we want to give an accurate representation. So sometimes we have to take multiple pictures with multiple, multiple different options as far as light. So we'll paint a scene with light and I'm sure you're familiar with that, but we'll basically open the shutter and then we'll, we'll pop a couple of flashes around or we'll use the headlights of our car or we'll, we'll do something to light up a scene. But you're right, we can make it look like daytime. So we want to be able to show the details in the scene, but we also have to take some pictures so that the trier of fact understands that, yeah, you couldn't see that well. So literally, not only are you officers, you're also film production crew at the same time, which yeah. is crazy to think. Yeah, so I mean, from from our perspective, we're, we do a lot of training in photography. In fact, most, of, well, I wouldn't say most, a significant portion of our of our schooling um, when we're learning to be forensic specialists is photography. And that's exactly why we have to, you have to think about all of these things, um, throughout your, your scene examination. You guys are literally like the artists of, <laughs> uh, we prefer scientists, scientists. But, but we'll, we'll accept artists, scientists and artists. You can be both. There you go. You all right. Thank up. you. No, Thank of course. <laughs> I, I just think that that's really cool because, you know, there's even parts that you're saying the bullet casings were going down the sewer or sorry, down the, the 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 lane. I was thinking, does it ever get into parts that you can't access, like the sewer? I mean, I'm sure you can access and go down, but do you ever have to go further? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we occasionally do. Sometimes people try to discard weapons or yeah. clothing and things like that down the sewer. So we have a good relationship with our friends at the city, and they'll come and open things up for us, and we'll uh, we'll do what we have to do to to obtain these things. I mean, occasionally things get to the dump and we have to search through the dump. So yeah. it's uh, it's certainly not as, uh, there's certainly a lot of smells that I've experienced <laughs> in the last 20 years that I, I wouldn't wish on anybody. Biggest question, have you actually ever just smelled something and then like, I need a second, everybody, and then... No, see? not not completely. I mean, I've definitely, there have been times when you have to take a second, but I haven't actually vomited at work. Oh, see? Bradley has a strong stomach, everybody. Yeah. No, I'm sure other people have. It's okay. He's, 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 it's he's, okay. We we accept everyone as long as they don't vomit in the crime scene. That's, that's the main. Baggy, like yeah, exactly. Like Keep something with you if you've got a weak stomach. <laughs> I'm sure over time, obviously, you get used to it and things like that. And oof, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think, I think, there are lots of different aspects, right? There are certain people that just aren't a good fit mm-hmm. for uh, for this kind of work. We we self-select to a certain extent. I mean, anybody who's in, in our office has been a police officer for a period of time and you're already exposed to lots of different things. And so certainly if if you're not, uh, you know, if you're, you can't handle being around dead bodies, yeah. forensics is not the place for you and hopefully you'd self-select not 
to not to apply. Of course. Um, but yeah, I think I think you have to have a certain kind of attitude towards the whole thing when, when you're attending autopsies and um, and that sort of thing. It's it can be it can be an issue sometimes. But, you know, did you ever see a lot of turnover or like are people quick to realize that say, hey, maybe this department is not for me uh, or is it kind of like a you go to them and go, are you sure you, you know? No, no. So there, from my perspective, there's no question. If someone comes to a supervisor or to me and says, mm-hmm. this just isn't for me right away, we're going to find them somewhere that they want to be. And that, that fits what they're doing because, um, it's not generally something if, if it's one thing to maybe have it bother you a little bit, but you can move through it. Yeah. You might get used to it. But if it, if it bothers you to the point where you're talking to, to me, then you're probably you probably need to find somewhere else to go. No, for sure. I mean, what are the um, the levels too in this case? Because it sounds like there's you know a lot of different levels in forensics. And just yeah. like, let's talk about you know maybe what's something at the, the I wouldn't say lowest level or the starting level, and then to where you are as well. What's in between? So the forensic response in general um, in the city is kind of I'd, I'd say divided into about well, kind of three levels. So there's the scenes of crime officers. They work out of divisions. They wear a, a regular uniform. They respond to 911 calls. But um, when we need them for what I would call just sort of the, the more um, common crimes or, or volume type crimes like stolen cars and minor assaults and break and enters, those sorts of things, um, they'll attend. They're already close. They're in the division. They're able to to do kind of a, a uh, I don't, I don't want to say basic, but sort of an, a, 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 a basic forensic exam, yeah. essentially. So, so they can fingerprint, levels, yeah. they can photograph, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, then we also have uh, recently, in fact, I think in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, we started a crime scene support technician program, which are civilians. Mm-hmm. Um, and they work out of FIS, out of, out of our office. And they, um, they attend again, more volume type stuff. They, they, um, examine cars, that sort of thing. Um, and then you get into the forensic specialists and the forensic specialists are all police officers. Generally they've been scenes of crime officers before they apply to forensics. They get interviewed. We do, um, they have a meeting with our psychological services just to make sure that, of course, you know, there's some, there's some base level there and we understand, um, what they're getting into sort of thing. Um, and then, um, and then they're, if, if they're successful, they come in and for about six months, they're kind of just testing the waters. Yeah. We're testing them out, making sure everything's good. And if that's good, then we send them to Iden school and Iden school is either at the Canadian police college mm-hmm. or the Ontario police college. Um, and that's, it depends on, on where you go, but generally around 10 to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get back, then you're kind of, you're, uh, we'll call you an apprentice, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. And so for a year you're mentoring with some of the senior people. Cool. And, uh, and after that you, you become a full forensic specialist. And then about two or three years later, generally, um, we, we encourage people to apply to become a, a lead investigator. And that's, those are the people who are our senior forensic specialists. Those are the guys and girls that are examining the murder scenes and, and are leading those investigations. And so, so really, I mean, it's a long process, right? From, from the time you apply to the time you can investigate a homicide, you're talking about five years yeah. in many cases. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you're going to need the training to go through it. I mean, also yeah. like psychologically, like you brought up a great point. Um, 
I mean, not only for the civilians that are in here, but also for yourselves, you know, how do you, how do you take that home, you know, or separate it from what you go home? Like, I'm sure, are you ever like, ah, I don't want to eat right now? You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you definitely compartmentalize a little bit. And I think, I think some of that is healthy and some of it not so much. Mm -hmm. It's important to have people to talk to. And, um, I mean, our, our service is, is, um, is really moving in leaps and bounds as far as the wellness of, of our members. And, um, and command is good enough to give units like us some autonomy to, to do what our members need. So even though our members are involved in sort of the wellness strategies that the service provides, we also provide some specific services to our members, just, um, you know, annual visits with our psychological services. We also recently, we made mandatory visits with psychological services for, um, for certain types of scenes. Yeah. So, so the thing that always hits everyone, uh, it doesn't matter who you are is, is, is kids, right? Of course. Kids are involved. Of course. Um, it just, it just changes the game. And so it's, it's really important for us and, and certainly for me as the acting unit commander to keep an eye on what's going on and make sure that we're offering that help when, when people need it because. No. So important. Um, yeah, you your team, right? They got to function properly. I mean, you, you're right. You hit it on the, on, on the head of the nail there is that, I mean, when we spoke to other guests, that sounds like kids is the most traumatic thing for everybody. No matter how senior or badass you think you are, you'll get knocked to your knees when it comes to seeing something like that. So, I mean, in your case, is there ever a story um, that you feel comfortable with telling or like at least like generally talking about that really like brought you back and, you know, you need to take a minute to really like either compartmentalize or talk to somebody? Yeah. Kind of story like that? Yeah. I mean, uh, there are a couple of scenes, I guess, that, that come to mind. I think, I think probably the first time I, I really felt something sort of that, that I had to kind of talk out, um, was a, a young guy who had been, um, murdered in, he was, it was on Bloor street, Bloor West. And, uh, I think it struck me because he was about the same age as me. I was, oh, I think yeah. I was around 26 at the time he was around 26. Um, and, uh, just, just a, a guy who looked like he had his whole life ahead of him and just kind of got in a bad situation. And, um, and, and that's, that's not, that's not unique. I mean, there, I think, I think all of us kind of go through that sort of thing. Um, and then, and then I guess the other time I would, I would kind of highlight is, and, and I don't really remember it. Um, honestly, my, my wife brings it up every once in a while and says, uh, yeah, there was a period of time where for whatever reason, it just happened that I had, I had three baby deaths all oh in a row. God. So in about a, like a three or four month period, I had kind of investigated three separate ones and, uh, I won't, I won't get into the details of them, of but, um, but just, yeah, that was just, I remember, I, I don't specifically remember anything being any different, but I remember my wife saying like, you, you okay? And I kind of, so I kind of had to think back, well, I've been dealing with this stuff at work. And so we still talk about that, that time every once in a while. And after a while, you know, you talk it out, you speak to some people and you kind of move on. And, um, but it's, it's certainly, yeah, I, I think we all have those, those times in our, in our careers for sure. No, I bet. I mean, like, just as we speak to so many other guests and, and other people in the force, just like death is a hard thing to even just like, it's a daily thing you deal with. But at the same time, I've, I've listened to this one podcast where they say it's the rawest form of human reality we can really experience. And uh, as much as it's very traumatizing, it's also something that, you know, you need to be okay with because it's part of your job. But at the same time, it's a, it's quite the check in your re own reality where you're like, wow, my life is finite. And like, let's keep going what we're doing because clearly you guys are doing great stuff to like make sure not only we're safe, but also solve crimes that, you know, people are, you know, having 
um, not a great day or time with because of whatever happened. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, well, I think one of the benefits of our, of, of our work, and I don't, I don't mean a benefit, but I guess I just mean one of the things that mitigates some of that emotion is that we don't often deal with, with live victims. Mm -hmm. So, um, the investigators are the ones who have to interview yes. the, the witnesses and the people mm -hmm. who are left behind for us. I, and I think for most of us, and I, I wouldn't speak for all, all of the members, but for us, I think it, it, it becomes very much, uh, you know, we're dealing with the scene. We're dealing with potentially a dead body. We're, we're dealing with that part separate mm -hmm. where, um, where, like I say, the investigators have to deal with all that, as you mentioned, the raw emotion yeah. of those victims. And, and I mean, I think of, you know, our sex crimes okay. investigators mm -hmm. and, uh, child exploitation, those sorts of things. I mean, um, yeah. And, and it's funny because you ask one of, uh, one of those members if they could do forensic work and they'd be like, oh, no way. Yeah. You totally ask, different. Yeah, yeah. You ask one of us if we could do their work and we say no Absolutely way. Not. So, um, so there are certain people that are just sort of, wired for certain areas. I mean, that's what the, clearly that's what the training's also held for. Right. And one of the things we also, uh, I think from our team was wondering in terms of, um, down to learning about, uh, what are the things that you do on the scene is determining time of death. And again, this is another debunk situation where it's like, obviously there's a lot of, you know, organic matter and it can decay over time and things like that. And like, depending on how fast you get to the scene or how fast it's discovered, is it, uh, what's the process you know, when it comes to that point. Yeah. So time of death is it's, it's more of a pathology thing yeah. for the most part. Mm -hmm. So usually it's, it's our forensic pathologist that will help us with that. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not nearly as exact as, as the, the TV shows would have you believe. Right. So, I mean, we can, we can approximate based on, you know, things like if rigor is set in and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, in general, I mean, we're not, we're not saying this, this person died exactly three uh, minutes ago yeah. or, you know, it's 24 hours or something. Yeah. It's a range and it really does, it's really affected again by the environment, right? On a hot, humid day, it's going to, it's going to, um, change calculations versus say it's minus 40 and, and they're in the snow sort of thing. So yeah, yeah it's not, uh, it's not very exact, but. Absolutely. So it's more you guys in and out. <laughs> Make sure you get your stuff done. Every pathology going, Hey, you weren't there quick enough. Come on. Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we don't, we don't do, I wouldn't say we rush to a lot. Yeah. Um, because we want to, again, we want to provide that, that, meticulous service. We want to make sure that we're not missing anything because the big thing with crime scenes is once we release them, everything's gone really. I mean, sure. even if someone finds something the next day, it's sometimes not. it's harder for us to prove that it was there the day before that sort of thing. So, I mean, I'm not saying nothing ever gets missed, but we, we've got a pretty good track record. Of course. Well, that's, well, that's amazing to hear. I mean, it, it's hard because you got to build a case, you know, as accurately as possible. Um, one of the questions I had too was, where does it all go yeah. after? It's a good question. It's a good question. I don't know. We, no, I'm just kidding. I do know. No. Um, yeah. So it really depends on what it's, what it's be, what's being done with it. Yeah. So what kind of evidence we're collecting. Mm -hmm. um, so, but in general, all of our evidence goes to our property and evidence management unit. Yeah. So at some point, so it might be being collected for DNA. We'll swab it. That, that, um, those samples will go to the center of forensic science, yeah. but everything in the end goes to our property and evidence management unit. And that's, 
Um, that's just this massive warehouse just filled with all kinds of stuff. And, um, and especially when we're talking about major scenes, mm-hmm. that stuff has to be kept forever, regardless of whether um, there's convictions. Yeah. And, like we've got stuff that's 100, 100 years old sitting in there that will just be there forever in a box or in a, in a bag. Let's just say one time I had to get my phone from that area. Just like, oh, yeah. well, there you go. What a crazy time that was. Yes. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's, it's, it's interesting because I would think that place stinks. Would it stink? Do you think it would stink? Uh, I've, I've been there lots of times. It doesn't stink. It does not, no. Like in the warehouse? Like, no. Like millions yeah, of no. Of <laughs> but we pack stuff up pretty tightly. Like okay, it's, it's pretty much air sealed. Okay. Like we're not, uh, yeah, we're not just throwing it on a shelf. My real people up. questions. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, it smells pretty fresh there. Pretty fresh, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. good to know. Yeah, I um, I, I think one of the big things too we want to ask you is also about community. You mm-hmm. know, it sounds like I mean most departments make sense with community. In your case, what is the community engagement like? Yeah, so um, on its face, you wouldn't think much, right? No. You would think, well, yeah. how are, but um, but the, as we mentioned, I. I I don't know if we were recording yet or not, but we were talking about um, about returning a community back to normal, mm-hmm. yes, and we and so so there's that piece. But I think even more important is uh, the professionalism that that our officers show at a scene, absolutely, and um, and, and community members see what we're doing. Right? Mm-hmm. If we if we drive by a scene and we take a couple of photos and we walk away, the community members see that and they say, "Well, police don't care about what we're doing. Yeah. They don't care about our neighborhood. They don't care about." happening in our neighborhood um but but we do and um and our members are the ones that are there for the days and the weeks um after after all of the smoke clears yeah we're the ones there collecting and the community members see it and and so i I remind uh, the members of forensic identification services as much as i can that um that we are the face of the service to the community and so um it's so important for us not just to be professional, but to appear professional on the outside. Like people need to see that we're taking, taking their, um, their situation seriously mm-hmm. and that we're trying to solve things and that we're trying to get things back to normal for them as quickly as possible. Yeah. It's because it's yeah. really care to show. Like, I feel like when, you know, we, we look at the other side where it's, you have your, um, your interviewers or like uh, your yeah. actual detectives who are there, they're talking to victims and stuff like that. So they have to be emotionally present. I think visually this yeah. is what, you know, your team represents, which is, um, you know, somebody trying to bring something back to normal. And at the same time, like if I was in, you know, the community shoes, I'd want you not to be just kicking, you know, stuff around and right. stuff like that. And I'm sure there's like, not at TPS, but other, you know, places around the world may not be actively as um, professional. But right. in your case, you're saying that these are the faces of it. Yeah. And I mean, certainly our members do have conversations with the community members. I mean, people are walking up to our crime scenes all the time and, and we're, we're doing our best to continue with our work often. But, um, but I do remind again, and, and, and the officers at FIS, I mean, I can't say enough about what they do. I mean, I've, I've been there for a long time, but, um, but it's been quite a while since I've been on the crime scene side of things and, and they're the ones who are keeping everything going. And they're the ones that are, like I say, being that friendly police face at this horrible crime scene and, and bringing some form of normalcy back to, back to a a hurting community. Right. Do you ever give them tips and tricks if somebody, you know, is trying to like, Hey, what are you guys doing? Or, you know, (laughs) or like, when do you think it's going to be over? Like stuff like that. Cause 
you know, you said you don't really engage with people, but I'm sure at moments, as you right. said, they do come up to you. And stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we try to be reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, everyone has their own job to do. And, and so, um, so we certainly don't want to slow that down to have a, an hour long conversation with someone. But having said that, it's also, you know, to take a couple of minutes to have a conversation with someone, we can't give away information no. about evidence. It goes a long way though. But right. yeah, right. but we can, but we can have a chat with them. We can often say, well, you know what, we're hoping to get cleaned up soon. And oftentimes with these crime scenes, we're blocking people's cars and people yeah. need to go to work and that sort of thing. So we try really hard to to get that stuff released and get that stuff organized for them as, as quickly as we can without sacrificing any evidence. Yeah. We, we, sometimes we all think that crime scenes are just the gory stuff, but like you said before, like, what well, can you talk about that Ferrari story again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we talk about cleaning up. We were talking about kind of crime scene cleanup yeah. and that's not, that's not a service we provide. Yeah. But one thing that, you know, every once in a while we kind of get a little bit of heat for is, is, is that right. So, you know, someone's Ferrari or, or high end car gets stolen yeah. and we're trying to catch the bad guys. So we want to fingerprint it and we fingerprint it and then they have to have their whole car detailed on the inside because I don't care about it back, man. If you got yeah. my Ferrari back, <laughs> that could be peppered with whatever little, I don't know, chalk or whatever you use there in terms of the, to well, get it done. Yeah. <laughs> well, you may say that now, but that stuff is messy. I'm <laughs> telling you. Yeah. So, so there's a very specific order. So just as a community or a mm-hmm. public service announcement, yeah. I can, I can tell you clean it up dry first. Don't try and get it wet first. Good you get know. it wet, it turns into black, disgusting it's mud. Like mus- yeah. yeah. It's like, and it gets oh. into everything. So. Okay. Well, yeah. good to know you if go. I ever there get my go. Ferrari that I hope I have one day there you stolen. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Call me. I'll, I'll come dust it for you. Thank you. Thank you. you. See, every time. <laughs> it's just like fraud. They're like, Hey, if you have anybody, you got a weird text message, just call me. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> I'm getting my, my, my network in, there you in go. the team. Um, let's talk about scenes of a uh, crime officer program. Um, tell us about it and, and what do you do there? Yeah. So the scenes of crime officer program is, um, they're divisional officers. Yeah. So they work out of, out of divisions, um, in regular uniform, generally responding to 911 calls. Um, so they, um, they do all of the B&Es, minor assaults, um, stolen vehicles often, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. The idea is to have an officer close to those scenes so that they're not coming from a centralized location. Um, so it's, it's a really successful program. It, it, it works really well. It's been, um, it's been in place in Toronto since the 80s. And, uh, and there are some services that, that don't have it around us, some of the regional services, um, but more and more are getting it. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, overall it's, it's really successful program. That's amazing. You you also mentioned that your force is, I mean, I mean, all force is 24 hours, but I mean, you guys are on call. I feel like, is it like kind of like how firemen, if there's a fire, you guys got to go or is it, you got to go and you Uh, you still have stuff to do paperwork yeah exactly so there's there's never there's never really downtime of forensics yeah um because we always have multiple cases on the go we always have paperwork or property to deal with um but we are a 24 7 um operation in toronto and and that's relatively unique in in the province and even in the country a lot of them work um days and afternoons or straight days and get called in um but we're we're a pretty busy unit and, um, and so our guys are in 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week, all through the year and, uh, and, and ready to go. And then we have a few people, we have some specializations within the, in the unit as well. So, mm-hmm. um, we have 
footwear specialists. We have bloodstain pattern specialists, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so they're not in all the time. Obviously, they get called in if, if required. Is there any tips that as the public can we help? Let's say I discover I'm at a crime scene for some reason. I discovered something. What do I do and what do I not do? <laughs> yeah, just don't touch it. That's okay. that's the big piece, right? Don't don't touch it. Don't lick it. Don't, uh, you know, kick it around. What if just, I do and I'm just like, hey, yeah. I touched it, if letting you, lick you know. It, no, if I'm you not lick it, well then, I mean, you should let us know. No. That's a different situation. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah if, you, if you touch it yeah. for whatever reason, you're digging around and you, and you grab something by accident, you just need to let us know. So, I mean, fingerprints... Our fingerprints, DNA, they can all be eliminated. It just means we might have to take elimination samples from you, of right? Course, so yeah. if you've touched something, we might take your fingerprints just to eliminate them. And then we destroy the fingerprints once we're done just to make sure that that if we find fingerprints on it, it's it's yours or not. Exactly. And you have an explanation as to why My you touched it. Fear. I had a yeah. dream about it once where I was like, what if I was at a crime scene? I accidentally touched something and I get co-accused or whatever it may be. And I'm like... Just walk by and touch the can for some reason. Uh, yeah, sorry. What you yeah, no, I mean, you're right in the sense that, um, you know, fingerprints don't lie. If your no, fingerprints yeah. are there, you were there. Exactly. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, you'll have to explain yourself somehow. I, I mean, I, I'm not helping you with your dreams, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> Can't call sorry. you in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything you'd like to say to the team or anybody uh, that you want to talk to or shout out public, whatever you want to do? Well, I mean, I guess, I guess overall, I'd just like to thank our, our forensics team. Um, you know, overall, they, um, I, I think they're one of the hardest working units in, in the service. They're, uh, they're underappreciated often. We're often kind of the, the, uh, the afterthought in some, in some cases. So, um, so I'm so happy that I got a, an opportunity to tell you about, uh, about what we're doing. Um, you know, and, uh, and I guess the only other thing I'll say is, is consider a, a career with, the Toronto police and, and certainly in forensics. I mean, I've been, uh, I've been doing this for about 20 years now, best job in the world and, uh, and then add in forensics and it's, it's just been, been a great ride so far. So amazing. If, if anybody out there is looking for a great career, this is it. Never the afterthought for us, Brad. Okay. Thank you. You're Thank you. Up here I did notice one. that I'm about episode seven though. Eight. Oh. What, what episode am I here? I I know I've got some big shoes to fill. I watched some of them. You had the chief here. I, I, this might not call out. This this might not even make it to the air based on, (laughs) based on what I've said. You might just be like, I'm not even going to air this. this Right. Yeah. Right. This is the perfect stuff we want. (laughs) Everybody that was 24 shades of blue. I'm Axel Villamil and we're out.